0: Ready to get started? Uh, If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it and turn over to Psalm 19. That's what we'll be digging into uh, today. The book of Psalms is smack dab in the very middle of of most print Bibles. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and click on the Bible tab uh, on our live stream website. You can follow along with us there uh, and we'll be working our way through Psalm 19. So let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll get started. Uh, Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, to be together in a sense, um, to just open up your word and to walk through uh, Psalm 19 together. I pray, God, that you would um, just speak to us through this song. May we walk away with uh, a, a grander vision of your glory with a deeper understanding of your grace. And I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts will be pleasing to you, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, I'm I'm super pumped uh, to, to be uh, just... Uh, in, In these next few weeks here, we're gonna be unpacking just the beauty of God's word. Many of you uh, know, uh, because of our email and social media updates, uh, that we are working our way through the Bible this year as a church family. It's something we just kind of decided that we do uh, in these last few weeks, um, because we're, we're constantly uh, just wanting to grow spiritually. And I know that a lot of you are, have questions about God's Word and theology, and, and you're just feeling like your spiritual lives are, are, are maybe just difficult or dry during this season. Well, probably the most important discipline that we can get, we can just be involved in as Christians is the spiritual discipline of Bible reading, of scripture reading. And so I'm going to spend a few weeks just to talk about um, what the scriptures are. We're going to be talking about the glory of God in the scriptures uh, to this morning. Uh, and then we're going to talk about like just why can we trust the Bible? Uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll touch uh, a couple of other topics after that. But uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 19, which is one of my favorite psalms. And I'm not alone in that. Uh, the great C.S. Lewis, the apologist and author and professor of the 20th century, uh, C.S. Lewis says, I take this psalm to be the greatest poem in all the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's high praise coming from a man of words himself, C.S. Lewis. I think the reason that he just gushes about this is because in this psalm, it's, it's just so beautiful the way that King David reacts to seeing the glory of God in creation and the glory of God in his word. It's very beautiful. It's very poetic. And, and, uh, and Psalm 19, David in Psalm 19 really sort of gets to the heart of that. I think there are some things that are so powerful that when we encounter them, we just sort of walk away changed, right? Like when I locked eyes with my wife Alyssa uh, at a game night several years ago, uh, back when we were just friends, meeting with a a group of other friends, and we locked eyes and I had this moment where I was just like, holy cow, like I think she might be the one. I think she could be the one. Or when I held my firstborn uh, child, my daughter Geneva, for the first time, right? And just just seeing this little child that God used me and my wife just to help create. Or when, when you watch someone that you've been praying for, that you've been witnessing to and just Sharing the gospel is when you watch them get baptized, right? Like these moments where, where we just find ourselves in these various moments of our lives where they're just so powerful, they're so moving, and, and they, they change something in us. They just move us. They stir our hearts. And there's also everyday moments that capture us too, right? Like the rush you feel after a good workout or when you get a delivery of Sarah Metcalf cinnamon rolls, Right? it just changes you right like something happens there and today we're going to look at how the glory of god and his word changes us god in his glory and god in his word it changes us and look that should be good news for us that should be good news to you because we all want to change and grow when it comes to our spiritual lives right we all want that we all want to change we all want to grow But the tools that we often lean on or rely on to do that are are, are often wrong or they leave us just wanting, right? And so what we need is the revelation of God and his word. and That is the big point of this psalm, Psalm 19. So let's go ahead and dig into this psalm. Uh, We're going to break it up into three points. The first point I want you to, to see in here is just the creation how it reveals God's glory. All right, creation reveals God's glory. Look at verse one with me. David says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Look, the psalmist David here is saying, Look, Do you want to know about the glory of God? Then look up at the heavens. Do you want to marvel at the creator's handiwork? Then man, just look at the expanse of the skies. Just look around you. Look up, look around. If you want to know something about God and his glory, just look around. I mean, when was the last time that you actually took a moment to stop and to consider the creative masterpiece that we live in? Right. Like David is having this life, his life changing moment where he's just peering up at the sky and just seeing the swirling stars uh, of the galaxy. And it's helpful for us to know that David was a, a, a shepherd. David, the one who wrote the Sham, he was a shepherd by trade. And as a shepherd, he spent a lot of time outside. He would lay down on the hills uh, while he was tending the sheep. And so from, from his vantage point where he was looking up a lot, he was really well acquainted with the glory of the skies. He was moved by their greatness and by their grandeur and by their splendor. Look at what he says in in verses 2 through 4. He says day to day they pour out speech, night to night they reveal knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and the words and their words to the end of the world. Now, this is basically David's po- poetic way, his his way of, um, of leveraging prose and poetry to say um, that, look, the heavens declare about God's glory, but their, their mode of communication isn't necessarily verbal, right? Like the heavens aren't speaking English too much to us. They're not saying like, God is great, you know, uh, like literally saying that. They're not speaking to us in some like ancient or cosmic dialect. But in some sense, they still have a voice <clears throat> in some sense they still have a voice a voice that declares the glory of the creator day to day and night to night as this as if every each and every new turn of the 24-hour cycle was just like another rotation in, in in this never-ending record player playing this cosmic worship song that god is great now look now as he just continues proclaiming the praises of God. In verse four, he says, in them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So he's gushing here just about the beauty and the majesty of the sun. Now, the sun is a giant ball of exploding gas, 93 million miles away from our planet. But why does David write this poetic verse comparing the sun to like a bridegroom uh, or like a strong man? In other words, like an athlete who runs its its, its course, right? Right. Why does, he, why does he write all this poetic verse comparing uh, the sun to a bridegroom and an athlete? It's because nature affects us like art. You see, ancient civilizations, they, they, they would like worship the sun because they were just so enamored by it. But here David is calling our attention to the one who made the sun the one who designed it, the one who, who of whom the son was, was an idea, right? <clears throat> David calls our attention to our creator God. You see, creation's glory and all of its little intricacies and just the magic of how it all works, creation's glory screams to us. It declares to us that we are not an accident. That we are the product of an artistic vision. We are the product of design, of intention, of passion, and of purpose. Let's revisit our main point. Creation reveals God's glory. And so I want to ask you now, do you see it? Do you see it? Creation reveals God's glory. Do you see it? Look, if it's not the expanse of the skies, maybe it's the stretch of the oceans or the majesty of the mountains. The point of being inspired by these things, just the way that David was, the point of being inspired by creation is not not for God to try and impress us with created things, but to inspire us to seek the creator of these glorious things. Question I want you to ask this morning Do you think about God much? Do you think about God much? Is your day to day life consumed by the distractions of this world or are you consumed by the glory of God? I recently read someone who who said that sin has a way of, of shrinking down our view of God and puffing ourselves up in our own estimation just a short glance, a quick glance into the glories of the universe, of just all that God has made, will quickly resize everything just like that. Sets our perspective right again. Now, I know that there are some people who, who would assume or think that, you know, science has disproved that God created everything. And there's Totally a whole discussion and even a whole sermon or lecture that we could have on that that we're not going to get into right now. Uh, we're going through those kinds of questions in our book club uh, that, that we're doing with the men and the women. But, but I do want to say this. We don't have to pit science and faith against each other. They're actually comrades. They're actually friends of each other. As a matter of fact, Francis Collins, who is the current director of the National Institute of Health, uh the guy who who happened to be the one to to first map out the human genome. Um so he's you know, obviously pretty smart dude and arguably one of the most reputable scientists of our day. And he also happens to be a Christian. And even the famous atheist Hitchens or Christopher Hitchens called him one of the smartest and greatest minds of our day. And so Francis Collins, the director of the National Institute of Health, he he once said this in an interview. As a scientist who's also a believer, the chance to uncover the incredible intricacies of God's creation is an occasion of worship. To be able to look for the first time in human history at all three billion letters of the human DNA, which I think of as God's language, it gives us just a tiny glimpse into the amazing creative power of his mind. Every discovery that we now make in science is, for me, a chance to worship him in a broader sense, to appreciate, just in a small bit, the amazing grandeur of his creation. See, when used rightly, science and faith aren't put up against each other. They're not, not at odds with each other. They, they actually work together to study and to declare God's glory all around us. So maybe ask yourself right now, is your view of God worthy of who the heavens declare him to be? Is your view of God worthy of who the heavens declare him to be? As great, as wonderful, as amazing. Now here's the thing. This this general revelation of God from creation is not enough. Romans 1 tells us that every human being gets a glimpse of God's glory just by opening their eyes. Doesn't matter what religious background you have, every single human being gets a glimpse of God's glory just by opening their eyes and looking at the world around us. How the heavens declare God's glory. But but the heavens don't tell us specifically about God's grace. That's what we need the word for. That's what we need the scriptures for. And so this is point number two, that scripture reveals God's grace. Scripture reveals God's grace. Look at verse seven. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now, while nature reveals to us God's glory, It doesn't reveal his character specifically. It doesn't reveal his grace. That's what we need scripture for. And here in verse 7, it says, when it says the law of the Lord is perfect, he's saying that there is something that scripture reveals that is perfect. Perfect, you know, comparing to what he just went on for six verses, perfect even more so than what nature reveals. We're going to unpack that more, but just a quick side note. In the next few verses, David's going to be using different words that mean scripture. He's going to talk about the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. And all of these different words, they're just synonyms for, um, I said cinnamon, cinnamon. I I have cinnamon rolls on my mind. (laughs) Um, uh, So these are synonyms uh, for the scriptures, for the Bible, for God's holy word. So let's just tackle uh, what, 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 how, how David describes the word uh, in these next several verses. Ver, read verse seven again. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now that word perfect here, that word perfect there literally means straight edge. Uh, not the scene straight edge, uh, but the, like a measuring stick straight edge, right? Like like back then, that was a a a, uh, um, a term that they would use for anything that you would use to measure a distance. It had to have a straight edge to it, right? So in other words, what he's saying is the Bible, God's word, the law of the Lord, is that straight edge. It is the gold standard for all that we... For all that is good, true, and beautiful, if you want to know what is good, what is true, what is beautiful in this crazy universe we live in, then man, we got to look at God's Word. It tells us. It tells us what's behind all those. And so, you don't measure Scripture up against some outside standard. It is the standard. It is that straight edge. And it says that. And and He says that it revives the soul. In other words, if a sinner wants to be saved, if a broken soul wants to be mended and made new, if a spiritually lost person wants to be found, if the spiritually blind want to see, then that happens by encountering God in his word. It's not just by looking up at the heavens and being moved by God's greatness, as wonderful as that can be. Like, like the heavens don't have the power to change a dead heart and make it alive again. That happens by reading the word, by studying it, by feasting on it. And he continues on with the rest of verse seven. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And so the scriptures also have the power to make us wise. Have you ever wanted wisdom, like true wisdom? Man, you know that wisdom, true wisdom, has to come from beyond us. It has to come from outside of us. That's the only kind of wisdom that's trustworthy. Right? Because if you think about it, like if you want wisdom, you've got to look outside of yourself. If you're just gonna look like within for wisdom, then you're never gonna, gonna grow beyond what you already know and how you already feel. You need to go somewhere outside of you. And the best place is to go to that which transcends, right? Is is to go to the word of God. That's how you get true wisdom. And so I wanna ask you this morning, man, where is it that that, that you go for wisdom? Where is it that you turn for wisdom? We have a friend, uh, Brett McCracken. He's an e- editor at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, he's actually a local pastor. Uh, uh, he's helping plant a church uh, in downtown Santa Ana, and uh, he's writing a book comes out in February called "The Wisdom Pyramid." It's a brilliant book. Um, I've I've gotten a chance to read it uh, already, and and he 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 kind of takes the idea of of this. Uh, <clears throat> Of the you know like the food pyramids that we all grew, grew up with uh, about the big food groups that we got to make sure we're eating right and then you got the the next food groups that you you kind of fill in and then at the very top is like sugar and candy uh, and you know you saw that food pyramid for the first time as a kid and you're like dang it my my parents were right uh, they were telling the truth after all um, well <clears throat> this uh, <clears throat> Brett has this thing called the wisdom pyramid. Uh, where, where he asked the question, Where is it that you turn for wisdom? And he points out that most of us, we turn to, uh, you know, like the internet and social media for our, where we go for wisdom. Oh, that is so upside down. The foundational place at the very bottom where we need to be seeking the most, turning to the most, giving the most time, the most attention, the most of our affections is the Bible, God's Word. Right? That's where God directly speaks to us, and it is our only infallible source. That's just like David said the law of the Lord is perfect, right? It's infallible. The Bible makes us wise by revealing God, who is wisdom's source and standard. There's that idea, the standard, the straight edge, right? And then, you know, the next category up to is the church, the local church. That's God's spirit filled people. local embodied communities and across time it makes us um wise by 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 the church makes us wise by orienting our lives uh, around god and then up from there you have nature which is god's creation his general revelation that makes us wise by reminding us of our creatureliness of humbling us about how small we are in the middle of the vast cosmic nature of creation and it grounds us in god's design this that is exactly what david was talking about that that category of the wisdom period when he Said the heavens declare the glory of God, and then above that, above that category on the pyramid, you've got books, uh, you've got beauty, uh, which includes like arts and culture and and, and creativity, uh, and then a the tiny sliver at the top, internet and social media. That can sometimes make us wise, but but when it's dominant in our diet, it often makes us unhealthy and fool. It should be approached wisely and intentionally and sparingly. So again, where is it that you're turning to for wisdom? Look, this is our goal for this mini-series that we're doing on the Bible, for this Bible reading plan that we're going through as a church. Which, by the way, if you co- if you attend King's Cross Church and you haven't checked your email yet or seen this on social media, uh, we are going this year uh, through the Bible together. Uh, we're, we're going through a chronological uh, Bible reading plan, which if you spend like 12 to 15 minutes a day just doing the readings on the plan, you will get through the entire Bible in one year, the entire scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, you'll get through it in one year. And look we know that reading the Bible can sometimes be, be 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 a difficult discipline to develop. And so that's why we're going through this together and we're providing helps and resources along the way. Uh there's actually an app that you can download and discussion groups uh that that you can drop questions in or just share what you're learning and reflecting on. Uh but you know it, it in just the first day uh that we launched this this plan uh on January first, on Friday, uh, there was already just like dozens of, pe- uh, of of messages and people interacting with the word, saying like, "Oh, I love this part," or "I don't get this part," and and people just answering each other's questions and praying for one another. And It has brought us so much joy to see this kind of era- interaction around God's word, and we need it. We need the word. It's the where we need to be turning to for wisdom. It's what brings life to our souls. So I want to encourage you to to join that and follow along. Uh, You can go to our website at kx.church slash Bible, uh, and we'll have all of uh, the resources and um, information up there for you. So men, please join us. We're with you in this. We're investing time and resources and money into this. Like We want to help you grow in your knowledge of God's word. Uh, so go ahead and sign up for that today if you haven't already. Uh, let's continue on with our passage. In verse 8, David says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The idea here is that when you're regularly in the word, that discipline does something to you. You begin to rejoice in the Lord. It's not just something in your head, it does something in your heart too. You rejoice in the Lord and you begin to rejoice in just the ways of Jesus. And he continues in, in, in verse eight, uh, the last half, he says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. <clears throat> what he's saying is the word of God gives you a new set of eyes. It's a clearer mirror. Uh, that you get to see yourself and the world around you uh, uh, by. He says in verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. <clears throat> fear of the Lord basically means that you are acknowledging the greatness of God and his power over you. He's saying here that, that when you acknowledge God's greatness and his power over you, man, that 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 act of doing that, it endures forever. It always humbles you, it never runs out of gas. You will continue to enjoy living under his lordship because he's the source of true life. Verse 9 continues: the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now he uses that word rules, and let's admit, we don't we don't often like that word rules. But here we're told that God's rules They are true rules. They're true rules, which is to say that these are rules that are framed and made according to God's infinite wisdom. According to the infinite wisdom of our creator God. They're grounded in sacred truth. And so they can be trusted. He says in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. And so he's saying here that even the smallest word of God is more desired to have than gold. More desired than gold. Now that doesn't always translate uh, in this day and age because gold isn't as popular or as wanted or valued as it was back then. And so I want you to think about the one thing, the one possession that you treasure or desire the most. The one thing that you've always wanted to have. The word of God is better than that. It's so much better than that. Like what good is it if you have all the treasures of the world but no grace from God? What good is it if you had the most sweet and savory meal of your life to satisfy your cravings for the day but you have no spiritual satisfaction for eternity? And those things would be no good at all, right? There'd be no ultimate help at all. But God's word is more valuable than anything this earth has to offer. What about you? i want to ask you that question. What about you? Do you love this book? Do you hunger for it? Do you treasure it? Do you seek after it? Look, if you are not immersing yourself in God's word, like you are missing Excuse me, if you're not immersing yourself in God's word, you are missing out on God's grace to you. We get to intimately know God, not just about his glory and how awesome he is, but about his character and nature toward us, how much he loves us. And so we get to really know him and have true fellowship with him when we're in his word. Look, every one of us wants a life that is meaningful, enjoyable, purposeful, rewarding. And we'll take a number of different paths in order to try and get there. We'll take the family path, the career path, the relationship path, the hobbies path, or maybe the food or the drink path, right? And those aren't all bad things, but but they don't lead us to the life that we were made for. If that's the path that you're traveling, it's not going to lead you ultimately to the life that we were made for. The life that deep down we all really want. We think these other paths will get us there, but we just turn the corner and what we see is just more path, again and again and again. But David is saying, no, the law of the Lord, the word of God is the right path. It's the right path. It's the truest path. It's the best path. This path will never fail you. It's true it's pure, it's satisfying, it's, it's, it's reviving, it's life-giving, it's sweet. See, the scriptures reveal God's grace. That is our, 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 our point for number two. The scriptures reveal God's grace. So I want to ask you, do you experience it? Did you experience it? Do you? Do you experience it? My guess is that for many of us who are having trouble experiencing the glory and grace of God, we're not spending time in His Word. We're not seeking Him in His Word. Look, the Bible is the one book that actually reads you. It reads you. It will tell you who you are and who is the Savior that you've been looking for all along. Do you know his promises to you? Do you know his love for you? Do you know the joy and the hope of the Lord? It's all right here in the scriptures. It's all right there. Now this leads us into our last and final point. In the last few verses, what we see in David is a humble response of the heart. And look, that is the natural progression of things. When you consider the glory of God, when you read of his grace in the scriptures, your heart, responds in humility, and you're changed. The psalmist David models for how to respond to God's word in humility uh, in verse 12 and 13. Just read those with me. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. See, what David is asking for is for help from the only place that he can truly get it from the author of the book, from our maker and God. You see, when he thinks about how good, holy, and worthy God and his word are, David cannot help but be convicted by his own unworthiness. He knows that it's his own error and his own sin that will keep him from fellowship with this great God. And so upon encountering God in creation and and being moved by God in his word, David sees himself as condemned in his sin. He needs to be protected from himself, from his own sin nature. And so he says, Lord, keep me keep me from presumptuous or willful sins don't let them rule over me in other words he says help me see the sins that I choose to do the external ones and keep me from falling but also the one thing I can't do is is discern my hidden faults and so teach me to help me to see the the, 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 the sins that 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 I'm that I don't choose to to do. That is just, just part of my nature, right? That they're, they're part of my blind spots. The sins of my heart, the things that are near impossible to see myself, that others might be able to see them, but I can't see them. <coughs> things like pride, defensiveness, greed, bitterness, resentment, lust, the things that are hidden from others, but that tear us up on the inside. And do the worst damage because because we can't we can't see the damage that they're doing, and we're not aware of it. Look, and this is the key takeaway that I want you to get from this song. You can look and gaze and wonder at the beauty of creation, and you should. You can read and study and theologize all you want at the God-inspired scriptures, and you should. But the goal, the goal is for all of that. To lead us into a relationship with the Lord, who has forgiven you, saved you, and adopted you as one of his own. You see, to truly see the glory of God and to truly taste the sweetness of his word, in the greatest sense of those words, you need to first receive with joy God's grace. This is why he ends his psalm with a prayer. <clears throat> Verse fourteen, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You'll notice a fascinating little paradox there in these last couple of verses. On the one hand, David uh, admits that he's not perfect, right? Like he he admitted that he's got willful sins and hidden faults. But on the other hand here, he says, let my words and thoughts be acceptable to you. There's only one way to be considered acceptable before a holy God while you yourself are truly unholy and far from perfect. The key is in the last words where he addresses the Lord as his rock and redeemer. You see, what that tells us is that David is counting on God's character and nature as the one who saves and redeems. See, David, he was an imperfect shepherd king. He was an imperfect shepherd king. But the point of his life and his ministry was to point forward to a greater shepherd king a greater shepherd king named jesus who would lay down his own life for his sheep the church for sinners like you and me he would exchange his divine crown for a painful crown of thorns just to be hung on a cross where he would where he would lay in our place and for our sins absorbing god's wrath in our place, atoning for our sins and giving us his own righteousness. He came down, Jesus came down and reached out to us so that sinners like me, sinners like you, sinners like David, and all other people throughout history, so that we could have the chance to be reconciled with God by the blood of the son. And look, that's how you change. That is how we change. In light of a powerful and sovereign God who gave up his son for you, you your desire to be in fellowship with him causes you to repent and believe. That's how we change. We repent just like David did. We we look at what God has revealed of himself, and then we turn and we just just run to him, our rock and our redeemer. That is the journey that we're made for. That is the message of the Bible. The book of the Bible, the whole pages of scriptures is the story of God's love towards sinners like us. It's the story of a people who keep messing up who keep trying to manipulate the system, who take shortcuts and end up making things worse, but also who encounter the scandalous grace of God, who pursues them and comes after them again and again and again and again. And because the Lord Jesus Christ is the rock of our faith and the Redeemer who saves, we can stand acceptable in God's sight as redeemed sons and daughters. Amen. Look, for some of you, For some of you, you heard the good news of Jesus and you're feeling its pull and draw on your heart for the first time. It's warming your heart for the first time. The paths that you've lived have just led you to other paths again and again and again and you just realize it's just not working for you. You wanna take God's path. You wanna walk in the ways of Jesus, but the gospel tells you that because the the problem separating you from the ways of God The problem of separating you from fellowship with him is your sin. And so your sin needs to be pardoned. That's why Jesus came. That's why he laid down his life. That's the point of the Bible story, of the gospel story. And If you repent like David and believe in Jesus, salvation can be yours today. And if that's you, don't wait. Pray that prayer. Salvation can be yours today. That's the good news. All of us, regardless of where we're at on the faith spectrum, we need that reminder. That God is glorious. Just look around you. He is gracious. Read about it in his word. and Then come to him for the beauty of his grace. Return to his word again and again and again and find new life